You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio. This is episode number 506 and most likely uploaded on today, the 10th of October, 2023. And on today's program, we're going to be dealing with an issue. It came up about how many months ago? It was March or February this year. And I've only become recently aware of this, and uh, which really has led to this program. I'm not really doing this program in order to report things or anything else like that. Um, my my purpose in dealing with this issue on today's program in relation to female elders is not so much to expose a certain group or denomination or to point out whatever. Um, I think people are, if you if you know the denomination which I'll be looking at, they'll be well aware of the, the issues relating to female elders within that. But it's more to do with wider issues relating to observance of the creed, uh, signing the formula, uh, ministers and elders and others swearing and promising before God, uh, before God's people, uh, before their presbytery or whatever else, who else, or else is ordaining them. And the major problem that awaits and faces people who wish to remain faithful to their ordination vows. And there may even be times when you don't realize could say what you're swearing to and we'll get into that a little bit later on the issue of female elders it's not just simply an issue regarding well they're just it's not just an issue but sloppiness in in exegesis of course that kind of results in it there's something far more sinister and, and far more fundamental at work when there is a move away from the well-established practice of the church centuries as was the case in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, and again, I'm just using them as an example, and this this happens in other denominations as well. When you move away from a clear biblical teaching, something that is clearly understood, of male leadership, headship, Elders, deacons, 
the minister of word and sacrament himself. Indeed, there's also ramifications for wider society, but we'll focus mainly upon the most clear and obvious teachings as revealed in Scripture for the church, for the public witness of the church, for the for the public when the when the when the church gathers as God's people, as a you could say a public witness. The issue of female elders is really a fruit of the rejection of biblical authority. And it has to be understood in that way. There are certain doctrines that are embraced, are problematic. But I would argue that their clarity is not to the same degree as this. The the issue of God's ordained order from Genesis chapter 2. Not just in the family, but also in, in, in the church. Indeed, we could say in society as well. Lays out male leadership. And when you have that turned on its head, when you have a case of that is rejected, when you have a case of you look at the apostles and the Levites and all the others who are even the Old Testament and in the New Testament, all the people to whom, in the, we'll take the New Testament for example, all the people who are given the keys of the kingdom, elders, preachers, all men. Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. One woman Man, husband of husband of one wife, as laid out in First Timothy chapter three. So this is not just simply something that is looking at one or two passages here and there, because it is no mystery that when female elders are introduced. Within a denomination, it's only a matter of time before you'll see other things such as a, a acceptance of homosexuality and other things. Now, the Presbyterian Church in Ireland is somewhat unusual because it has seems to have with withstood a, a degree of that. But once you've allowed female elders to come forward, what kind of female elders are you going to have? Godly women who really know the scriptures know they shouldn't be going forward for leadership roles within the church. So, who are you going to have going forward? People who who wish to usurp authority. And, of course, that can be male or female. Now, you might say, maybe she doesn't know. Okay. 
she is disqualified on two different criteria. She's not skilled in the word. Sufficient to know that she shouldn't go forward for the role. Anyway, so what prompted my interest in this, again, this is um, this is from March of this year. When a story broke to the media because this was leaked to the media. Now, it seems like this was leaked to, could have been leaked to the media by somebody who's not in the in the piece in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. Um so just looking at the story, this is from RT.ie. RT is the state broadcaster down in the Republic of Ireland. And they reported that women in Presbyterian Church express hurt over remarks from incoming moderator. Uh, the incoming moderator is Sam Mawinney who is uh, the minister in a congregation in the Dublin area. I think it's the Adelaide Presbyterian Church in Dublin. He's the first moderator for quite some time from the Republic of Ireland. And so anyway, there's a bit of controversy. There's some report that was put out by RTE, and it seems from from... It looks like it was intentionally, for all intents and purposes, uh, made known to the media. Unfortunately, it ended up in the media rather than being de- dealt with within the church and the church courts. And let's listen to this. This is kind of a, a clip from RTE. It's released on the 12th of March this year. It's a seven-minute clip, and we'll just respond to it. Again, the whole point of this is not really to make the information known and um, to point out, hey, the, the, the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, sadly, has been for over 100 years, I think now, been they've had female elders. So that is, there's been liberalism within the Presbyterian Church in Ireland for quite some time. And um, I think since about the 50s, they've had female ministers. So this is nothing new. But there's been quite a decline from where the Presbyterian Church in Ireland was, especially in the 19th century. So let's uh, let's play this report. We'll we'll respond to it. We're kind of just seeing what we can learn in terms of reforming the church and other things like that and really how to deal with this. Okay. I am... I've forgotten to plug in my audio. Women of the Presbyterian Church of Ireland have told RTE News that they feel excluded and hurt following remarks by the incoming moderator, Sam McQuinney, who will take up the role in June. In a recent BBC Radio Ulster interview, Reverend McQuinney said he wasn't in favour of the ordination of women, which is a policy of the denomination for 50 years. The Presbyterian Church of Ireland permits those who it says, quote, genuinely and sincerely differ from the ordination of women to hold a different view. Our religion correspondent Alva Keneally spoke to a number of Presbyterian women this week. Just two of them felt they could speak openly. Here's her report. 
This disagreement centres around the role of women in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, a church which on the surface appears to promote equality between men and women. Now, you have to kind of ask yourself, why? Why do they feel hurt? The, the biblical position is quite clear. It has been a position for centuries. And is, is this all that's going to be offered? No, you're wrong because here's a Bible verse to show women should be or can be. Or allowed to be? Or is it going to be a theology based upon feelings rather than facts? Because if we're going by feelings, what if Sam Winnie just said, well, you know, I feel hurt that you're hurt and you're accusing me. Uh, who's, whose feelings win out? Or are we going to go with the objective standard of the word of God? Women. There are women ministers, women elders, women who preach. But scratch the surface. Yeah, um, there shouldn't be. None of this is based upon biblical authority. None of this is based upon following the standards of the church, the Westminster Confession of Faith, that they claim to be following. If you, this isn't something that's labored massively, the fact that church officers are male in the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's often quite obvious. If you go to the directory of church government, which is uh, a, a document, an act of the General Assembly, I think from 1646 if I'm not, or 1645, 1646. And the directory of church government is still held to by, I think, maybe two denominations in Scotland still. And the Free Church of Scotland continuing and the Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland. I'm not saying they're the only two, but there, there might be others. I'm, I'm So these are, this is a, an act, a directory that goes right back to the time of the Westminster Assembly. And if you look at the section under pastors, or pastor, or ruling, it constantly says he, his, his flock. So, in the same way, you're not going to find a section in the Westminster Confession of Faith saying that homosexuality is wrong or the LGBT, you know, in terms of modern language that we would want to hear or something like that because it was seen as so obvious at the time. And this is a special rejection of the Word of God and it must it must, brothers and sisters in Christ, it must be seen as that. It can't be just seen as, look, I don't agree with the charismatic movement, but I agree that a lot of charismatics are genuine believers in Jesus Christ. A lot of them are not. They're following the, the prosperity gospel. If they're truly trusting in Jesus Christ, 
so, and there may be some somewhat faithful ministers who are Pentecostal to going in the right direction. Not a great movement, not advocating it at all. You can get some people who are in Anglicanism, few here and there, the odd Alec Mateer, guys like that who are really, really unusual within those folds, and you get really some serious people who love the Lord, but they're the exception rather than the rule. We need to hold to this position is to torture Scripture. You can kind of understand, I don't agree with charismatics, but you can kind of understand in a very, because, well, go through 1 Corinthians 14 and you don't agree with them, but you can say, okay, kind of, I can see where you're kind of coming from. It's wrong, but okay. And Anglicanism, okay. You can see why you'd come to that kind of and not be completely rejecting the word of God. Okay. You, you see the word bishop and you take it. Okay. You're not really comparing scripture with scripture as we would hope you would, but we wouldn't say that you're not a Christian because of that or anything else like that, just based on that alone. But when there's something fundamental as the rejection of male-female roles and male headship and, and so many texts, whether that be First Corinthians chapter 11, yes, it's talking about head coverings, but it's also talking about male headship. Genesis chapter 2, and um, time and time again, First First Timothy chapter three, verses one to seven, a husband of one wife, a husband. It's very hard to be a woman if you know. It's very hard to be if you're a woman. You can't be a husband of one wife. It kind of um, so. There's no no rational argument can be made for that. I completely disagree with people who think there should be. Female deacons, I think there's a very, very weak, very weak argument made for that. And I wouldn't say just because somebody believed that. It's a very weak argument based on what Romans 16 and things like that. I don't think that the person is necessarily liberal, maybe liberalizing tendencies among that person. But when something is so plain, and I'm trying to show the different levels of plainness, when something is so plain, I'm deeply, deeply concerned if a person doesn't see this. It's not a difficult teaching to see those who must be church officers, especially elders and ministers, must are male. They're male. And the arguments, the level of argument is not a million miles away from those level of credibility. It's about on the same level as those who will distort the scriptures in order to support LGBT interpretations of the scriptures. The same level of torture done to the text. And And this is why, generally speaking, churches, and I say generally speaking, you get the odd exception here and there, of course, will go from female elders, and within a generation or two, they'll embrace rainbow flags, the LGBT movement, and everything else that goes with it. And there's just quiet underneath. 
This is Reverend Sam Mawinney, who was recently elected as incoming moderator of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. When he takes up the role in three months' time, he'll be the first moderator of the PCI from a congregation in the Republic of Ireland in a quarter of a century. There are just over 200,000 Presbyterians on the island of Ireland. 90% of them are based in Northern Ireland. So as he does with most incoming moderators, the BBC's Mark Simpson interviewed Reverend Mawinney in Belfast almost two weeks ago. What are your hopes, what are your prayers for the 12 months as moderator? And it was this interview that caused ructions. Do you support the ordination of women within the Presbyterian Church? You have to realize the world outside of the church, the BBC, the RTs, which are pushing the feminist egalitarian agenda from the world and the false philosophies that they're pushing. The world wants the church, the bride of Christ, to abandon the teachings of Scripture and to go in another direction. This is one of the reasons why a couple of weeks ago we did that program on that drag Sunday abomination that took place in Texas because that's the direction it goes. And it's all based upon this theologies based upon feelings rather than facts because what makes what feels good and what all the things like that will ultimately bring you towards idolatry, not the true God of the Bible. A God you can mold in your own image, God that is suited towards your tastes, and predilections and desires. And so, of course, the BBC would ask this question. And the Church of Jesus Christ is going to stick, if it's going to be faithful to the Scriptures and in such a, a perverse generation, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. And as soon as, as, as it's trying to have everyone like it and have the outreach and evangelism of, look how nice we are. How could people not like us? Kind of this kind of narcissistic self-esteem, self-promotion of ourselves and trying to ease our way into society. The world hates Christ. And when we actually are faithful to it, so they're happy to push any agenda. And as soon as the church completely has no opposition to this, then they'll be pushing other things and other things and to make the church just like the world. Nobody cares if, if you say you're Christian and you live and act like the world. That's the kind of Christianity the world loves because it is not the Christianity of the scriptures. But this is um, Sam Owenie responding then to this question from the BBC. The, yeah, we've been ordaining women for quite a long time within the Presbyterian Church. But do you support it? I don't know if Sam is ever going to listen. This is probably unlikely that he ever will. But if, Sam, if you do listening to this, um, I know it's not easy 
being interviewed by a hostile media. I don't know. I'm sure Sam Owinnie's a lovely person to talk to. It, and it's hard when you're being... You try not to say something stupid. So there's a, there's a level of sympathy and you maybe you're sitting there, you're being interviewed by the BBC and your heart is just beating out through your chest. And you're just, just trying your best to only say things that honor Christ and don't cause unnecessary problems. And I say unnecessary. So I'm going to go with the presumption that that is what was going through your mind, Sam. Or Mr. Mulwini. However, the, your, the denomination of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland should be in sackcloth and ashes and weeping over its rebellion against the word of God in this area. Yeah, you're going to you're you're going to face some heat if you actually state the truth as revealed in the scriptures. There are large sections of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland that has no interest in the word of God that wants to appear religious. I live in Northern Ireland. I am originally from the south of Ireland. I got saved back in 2009. I went to Baptist churches for the first couple of years. And I remember thinking I would not touch a Presbyterian church in Ireland because I just I, I associated with the rank liberalism. I was a Baptist at the time. That's probably another <laughs> at the time I disagreed with them on infant baptism. But I since come to realize that it's biblical and according to the scriptures. But, but the Presbyterian Church in Ireland does not have a reputation of being interested in what the scriptures teach. There are wonderful exceptions. Just as I was mentioning in Anglicanism, there's exceptions. And other another another churches as well. There are, and I've met a number of these men, and I've enjoyed good fellowship with them, and good conversation and at the Banner of Truth Ministers Conference. And, um, you know, there's a few men from the Presbyterian Church in Ireland who attend the Banner of Truth, and that's great, wonderful. And, and I've met a number of other ones who are, different conferences um, and from what I just having conversation I've never heard them preach or anything but they seem to be really really strong sound believers but they're a, they're a minority and I don't know how vocal they can be about something so obvious as this Women cannot, cannot be, and it's such a plain and obvious teaching. 
Now, there's other problems in the churches that have female ministers. You're going to see other false teaching as well. Of course you are. Because again, a godly woman wouldn't dare become an elder. And there's either two possibilities. Either she's ignoring scripture or is ignorant of what the scripture teaches. Neither of them are good. Neither of them are good. Yeah, yeah, we have ordained women for 50 years. And we should be repenting over that. We should be mourning over that. One of the big criticisms of Jeremiah's day was this. I have not called them I have not sent them, I think it was, and yet they ran. These are people who are obviously not called by God. It's a serious thing for anybody, even a a man. Say he might have a, a love of scripture and other things like that, but maybe still not called of God to go into the ministry. That's a serious thing to go into the ministry when you're not called. But this is even more serious because it's just so plain from the scriptures. Um, well, my position is that um, I, I think that women should be involved within the church in many different ways. I think my own personal position is that I, um, I, I'm not in favor of the ordination of women. The Bible's clear and obvious teaching is that women should not be ordained. End of story. This is... Thus saith Scripture. Now, here's my personal opinion. My personal opinion. No, no, it's not your personal opinion. It wasn't Paul's personal opinion in Timothy. And we've got to, we've just got to state it plainly rather than, okay, so let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. which follows on after a section which deals with public prayer. You know, I will have that men and Ross pray everywhere, and that's male as opposed to women, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. So the men are to lead in public prayer. Verse 11, this is in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Before you get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, which deals with bishops or overseers. Verse 11 of chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Now, you probably say, oh, well, what context? It can't be everywhere. We're not saying women to be quiet everywhere. In the context, we are talking of the church. Talks about in public worship. But the women learn in silence. But I suffer, Paul says. Paul doesn't say, well, here's my own personal opinion. Seriously. Can you... Okay, I'm, I'm trying not to be uncharitable here, but... This is like, imagine if you said to someone, this is so patently obvious. Imagine saying to someone, 
well, my own personal opinion that Jesus is the only way, but okay, that would be worse, of course. <laughs> Paul says, "But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence." Verse thirteen gives the reason for that: for Adam was first formed, then Eve, creation. Going right back to creation. Paul is not saying this is, here's a possible way of working this out. In the public prayer of God in verse 8, it is to be men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And that brings you then from that argument from creation right on to chapter 3. There is a true saying, if a man desire, in that case a man is, if anyone, it's not actually stating the gender there, but it's very, very clear that it's a male. And it gets even clearer when it says a husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. A one, literally in, in the Greek, a one woman man. Double check that that there that I'm right. Yeah. A one woman man, literally. So and that's I'm referring then to First Timothy chapter three, verse two. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, or literally a one woman man, vigilant, sober of good behavior. One that ruleth well his own house, his own house having his his children in subjection with all gravity. How can a how can any of this apply to a woman? Titus one is the same. So this is not a new thing. In male leadership in the Old Testament, you have a new te- it is a creation ordinance. It doesn't mean that women are any less value than anybody else. And yes, women should serve in various different capacities, but not uh, not in leadership. Not in leadership. Um, and that's a position that I hold. Um, but I respect the Presbyterian Church's view and that there are people who disagree with me on that. And I don't... I don't this is a... This, look. Maybe he regrets saying this. Um, I hope so. How can you say that's something that clearly rejects the scripture? You can respect. I can't. You don't respect that. Imagine saying, yeah, I believe homosexuality is wrong, but I, I respect those who don't believe homosexuality is wrong. So this is, I, 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 don't, I don't really understand this. Those who will, I, I, I. want to make it a primary issue. I think if you, you know, when you meet somebody personally and talk about it and you see how it works out in practice, uh, there certainly is not a, a a desire, certainly, to, to offend or to hurt people. But people were offended and hurt, and 168 of them signed a... I don't know. Uh, I, my experience, 
my chats with people, what I think of as people ruling elders or is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It has nothing to do with scriptural exegesis. It's everything to do with the feminist movement of the last about 100 years now. And anti-biblical worldly philosophies being placed over the word of God, it has everything to do with that. Yeah, you're being hurt, but is there any counter-argument to this? A letter to the current moderator, Reverend Jim Kirkpatrick, and the clerk of the Ballymena Presbytery, describing Reverend Mawinney's view as completely inappropriate. One of those signatories was Stephen Smurl. So the comments were about as mild and milk toast and as vanilla as possible. Uh, <laughs> and a large section of outrage and hurt was still caused. Of course, um, who was once an elder in the church, but whose same-sex marriage led to his removal in 2019. Sam his views would, are not simply his view. Now, we have to realise that this is somebody removed, and at least for now, it seems that the Presbyterian Church in Ireland is holding somewhat faithful in this area, but I, I don't see that as some kind of a an achievement that the Presbyterian church in Ireland is being put under a ton of pressure from the media because there are people who believe that this pressure will bear fruit. Views, they will be maybe a growing view within the Presbyterian Church that that females should not be eligible for ordination, uh, and yet uh, the Presbyterian Church has been ordaining women uh, uh, in the role for ministers for the past fifty years, and in fact, in the role of elders, uh, which are the officers who assist ministers in a congregation, uh, there's been a policy of uh, ordaining women for the eldership for almost a hundred years. Maybe about for which they should repent. No biblical argumentation is being provided and um, no scriptural justification has been submitted. About 30 years ago, uh, there was a clause uh, accepted within the church for male ministers who felt that they had an objection to this. Um, and it was very limited in its scope. It was simply that they wouldn't have to take part in the services of ordination for women. A spokesperson for the Presbyterian Church in Ireland said the letter came to the moderator, Reverend Kirkpatrick, in what he described as a strange way because it was released to the media at what appeared to be almost the same time. The implication being that the purpose of the letter was primarily for the benefit of the media and not simply... A of course it is. And um, to be honest, there's a pattern of this, um, of... Feminists within the church applying whatever pressure they can, emotional outrage, all these kind of things, to get what they want. And they don't want any opposition, any anybody saying publicly, openly, that what they... See, 
the feminists in the in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland they want to change, or the egalitarians as well. It's not just um, the women, but the egalitarians, the liberals. They want the church changed into their own image. They want it to suit their own agenda. They don't want it following the scriptures. There are other people. I don't know a minority. Can't what the numbers are exactly. Yeah, do you believe the the gospel? They're somewhat reformed at times. You'll meet some men who are somewhat reformed. And uh, I suppose in some ways it's probably like this, the Church of Scotland a couple of decades ago. You get some fine men in there at times. But how many times if you're listening to this and you're you're okay, you're in a you're you're you've got conservative biblically sound views in these areas and others. How often do you say nothing in these areas and others with regards to biblical qualifications for elders and other things like that and what the elder are meant to do and say ministers even more so because across the room from you or in your presbytery or whatever the case may be you have women serving I don't understand how you can do discipline even because in certain areas in certain parts the word of God is people are just ignoring certain issues and it's the only way you're going to be able to function in such a place unless you you're going to war 24 7 which is not very sustainable in a church setting and so what happens to a lot of men they have yeah they see from the bible this is the teaching but they keep it to themselves and very very reluctantly reveal what the truth is. Request for the church to look into a particular issue. The spokesperson said the main... Yeah, and it's definite that this was a... Unfortunately, it was a kind of seeking for it to go to the media. It would be much better, much, much better, if this was dealt with in their church courts. But if anybody's listening from the Presbyterian Church, you have to realize that as long as you keep leaving unbelievers into your pulpits, this is what's happening. Guaranteed unbelievers. Uh, Into ruling elders, other things like that. As long as you leave liberals, as long as there's no discipline, as long as you continue to ignore biblical quali- clear biblical qualifications as long as you ignore the standards of your church and and as long as there's this very woolly adherence to the Westminster Confession it's no the Westminster Confession of Faith is there for ornamentation it's there for, for it's there for show it, it's it's I'm going to show you in a while I mean um I don't want to just be picking on one denomination here. Hopefully it doesn't come across like that. I hope not. But what will happen is these men will, and others, <laughs> will swear to the Westminster Confession of Faith, but then with a bit of a, 
A nuance or caveat according to paragraphs 12, 13, and 14 found in another document that are not mentioned while they're swearing it. And uh, we'll get into that in a while, but you end up with a situation where we're keeping to the Westminster Confession of Faith, but with these caveats. And the caveat is uh, we can determine and we can interpret how you're going to look at that document. And so the 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 creed becomes completely pointless the church then has placed itself above her own standards she's not sub, she's not submitting to those standards anymore she will she'll tell you what they say continuing on from the RTE report author of the letter is in fact not a member of the presbyterian church in ireland and he said a number of others who signed it are not members either the main author with Stephen Smurl. What would you say to those who may feel that perhaps you have a bit of beef with the church? Uh, yeah, that's that's true. You could say that. And I suppose, yes, I maybe have had a bit of a beef in relation to how I was treated. And a number of them are within. But I think that the point is that this practice still takes place, is still tolerated. It has to be tackled. And you and elders or whoever else is going to, you have two options. If you're going to assert, maintain, and defend, if you if you're interested in the document, if you're interested in the doctrines, the reformed doctrines of the the Westminster Confession of Faith, you have to. If you're going to remain there, you cannot remain there supportive of that. Such a clear breach. Or departure from the Westminster Confession of Faith, you have to, if you're going to remain, seek to have it changed or leave. I mean, if you're not interested in the Westminster Confession of Faith, well, okay, that's a different set of circumstances. So I'm going to leave that there. So very, very mild comments from someone when he, he's currently the, the 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 moderator of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. It is not his personal opinion. It is not my personal opinion. The Word of God clearly states only men are to be in the role and any women, are, there are no female pastors. The the church does not have the right to place someone so at odds with the clear biblical teaching on who is qualified, suitable to the role. Now, just to finish off the program here, we're going to look at how can this situation arise? How can this situation arise? I remember before I first got before I got saved in 2009, I was a professing atheist for about six years, and I thought that all ministers and people who went to church were just the biggest bunch of frauds in the world, and you don't believe what you're stating, you're just, you're just going through the motions, it's all pretense, it's all for show, to make you look better, you know, the world thinks you're great for going to church, but you don't really believe it, and and there are some people like that, and they're called liberal churches, and you don't really believe the scriptures. 
the Presbyterian Church in Ireland has people subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. It even says in the, in the Book of Public Worship, this is their, their code. This is what is addressed to minister-elect when they're being ordained. The moderator, it says in the, uh, the code, the moderator addresses the minister-elect in these words, you have confessed your belief that the word of God is set forth in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament is the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Okay, this is uh, good so far, yes. It is under that supreme standard, which alone is final, that this church holds its, uh, its subordinate standards. So far, so good. Okay, just want to just say that. Um, so, so far, so good. This being understood, are you now prepared to subscribe in terms of the General Assembly's formula? Quote, I believe the Westminster Confession of Faith, as described in the code, ooh, here's when we go wrong, as described in the code, chapter 1, paragraphs 12 to 14, to be founded on and agreeable to the word of God. And as such, I subscribe it as the confession of my faith. Now, if you read that and you think, I wonder how many people look up chapter 1, paragraphs 12 to 14. This happens in a lot of denominations when they're trying knowingly, unknowingly, I don't know. Can't, you know, I, whoever wrote these words or the... I don't like it because it's not very upfront. What is paragraphs 12 to 14? And how often do people go, well, yeah, I, I've read the Confession of Faith. I agree with that. Hmm. Well, you know, it doesn't seem as described in the code. So I looked up, and this is found in a different uh, different area. I don't really understand why any of this, some of this can't be put in that you're really agreeing to. But it says, I believe the Westminster Confession of Faith as described in the Code, Chapter 1, Paragraphs 1, 12 to 14. Paragraph 12, it says, the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, as a witness for Christ, has adopted subordinate standards. And these are found that the Church understands the Word of God to teach on certain important points of doctrine and worship. These subordinate standards are a testimony for truth and against error. Agreed. And serve as a bond for union for members of the church. I can agree with paragraph 12. Okay. Not the most fully formed. But nothing horrible there. I could, I could even agree with that. I could even swear to that. That, that would be uh, fine. Paragraph 14. Paragraph 13 mentioned... This is part like this is what ministers swear to. The uh, paragraph thirteen, the confession of faith as approved by the Church of Scotland in our Act of seventeen forty seven sounds sounds has more gravitas because you're going back to seventeen forty seven during the Westminster Assembly, and the larger and shorter catechisms prepared by the Westminster Assembly to the divines are the subordinate standards of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. 
That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? You just stop there and be like, oh, great. Accepting these standards, the church holds that civil rulers must be obedient to Christ in their own area of authority. Wow, I just, what's going on here? This is, um, this from outside looking fairly liberal denomination at times. But this, this, this formula that they're swearing to seems quite good. The church holds that civil, this is the establishment principle, isn't it? Uh, civil rulers must be obedient to Christ in their own area of authority. This is really good. Um, but then you read on. Yet they ought not to attempt in any way to constrain any person's religious beliefs or intrude upon the rights of conscience. I don't want to spend too long on this because I think a lot of Christians, a lot of people who say that they believe the Westminster Confession of Faith are against the reg- uh, the, the establishment principle. They don't believe it. They're, they struggle with it. All sorts of things. And I don't think there's anything shocking here that that the a, a, a denomination, a modern denomination thinks complete freedom of religion is consistent with the word of God. It's kind of, you know, I, so I don't really want to labor this too much. So it, it kind of affirms the, re, the establishment principle for a second and then kind of chops it in half two seconds later. Yet they ought not to attempt in any way to constrain any person's religious beliefs. There's no definition of that. What if your religious beliefs were that you could have gay marriage? That's a religious belief. So, and then somebody in government says, no, no, you can't. But that would be, sort of, according to a certain understanding of it, constraining a person's religious beliefs and intrude upon the rights of conscience. It's not defined anywhere. There is liberty of conscience. Liberty of conscience is freedom from laws of man that would bring you to sin, basically, and you have freedom to follow God. But it's not incredibly clear and understanding the nature of the current Presbyterian Church in Ireland. I have to point out as well, from what I've heard, there's been improvements. And look, there's some fine men in in their college and men I've listened to and benefited from. But they're... They're, they've joined themselves with darkness. They are a minority of a minority. And I just really do feel what point 
I, there's some people believe, yeah, there's going to be another split, maybe within Presbyterian Church. I don't know. I have no idea. And um, there's already a split there. And the split is between believers and unbelievers, between Christ and Belial, between darkness and light. Very, very clear. Once you have... There's congregations there that don't have the gospel. And open rebellion against God in the pulpit with female ministers. Paragraph 14. So we got there eventually. Paragraph 14 undoes the whole thing. So the moderator will address the minister-elect in these words. And here's the formula. I believe the Westminster Confession of Faith as described in the Code, chapter 1, paragraphs 12 to 14, to be found on agreeable to the Word of God. So, what does paragraph 14 says? The Church alone has the right to interpret and explain her standards under the guidance of the Spirit of God. The Church alone has the right to interpret and explain her standards. What's wrong with that, you might ask? So after all that, I believe the Westminster Confession of Faith, but I believe it as interpreted by the church and explained to by the church through the prism or through the lens of the church. So this one paragraph, that could have easily been written into the formula, by the way. It's a very short paragraph. I wonder how many people would be willing to, to swear it if they actually read it. Brings it into a position where it's not adhering to the Westminster Confession of Faith at all. It's allowing the church to interpret, the right to interpret. If the standards, the confession of faith, needs interpreting rather than obeying, then it's ambiguous. And if it's ambiguous, then it's in violation and breaking chapter 22 which is against ambiguous swearing of the confession of faith. I'll just grab it there, actually, just to give you an, an idea of what I am arguing for here. You see, the problem is, in, her, in the oath that is sworn to by a minister in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, they're basically saying, yes, I believe the confession of faith, as explained, as, as we're told it says. So just say... The church now is saying, their, their, their general assembly says, female ordination is fine. So you have sworn, you have sworn, if you're a, an elder or a minister, you have sworn to see that teaching to be founded on and agreeable to the word of God. Because it's interpreted by the church. The General Assembly. They'll tell you what it says. 
and you need to submit to it. That's what you're swearing to. Actually, you're swearing to sola ecclesia, not sola scriptura. The, 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 the church will tell you what it says, which is eerily, eerily close to what we see in Romanism. Now, I don't want to be... Don't want to be uncharitable. I know plenty of people having a, would not look at it that way and all that kind of thing. But even the Church of Rome would never, they don't say it openly. The Church of Rome, for example, will say they have tr- three authorities. Sacred Scripture, Tradition, Sacred Tradition, they'll call it, and the Magisterium. And in practice, what happens? In practice, you get a situation where, well, how do you know what the scriptures say? When they might say, well, we'll go to tradition. But then there's some disagreement among that. How do you know what that says? The church will tell you. The reason why we have creeds and confessions is that they t- they are they are public declarations of what we believe and if they are open to interpretation then they're a waste of space i can think of one example of a section of a creed an ancient creed that is because we don't really know what it means to a degree or what the early church believed by it. The Apostles' Creed says that Jesus descended into hell. And from what I can see in my limited understanding of church history, that I don't even think we really know what. I think it was written, what, 2nd century? And you might say, okay, that's been interpreted a couple of different ways. But none of us use the that language. If we can have some documents stating, oh, here's what they meant. Okay, we know what what later church fathers said about descended into hell. We know that from the book, I don't know, 5th century. You can find various different authors here and there. Cyril of Alexandria, I was reading the other day, and you can see what he said about that and other men as well. And reformers have explained it in different ways. Is it the wrath he bore on the cross or whatever else like that? Because it can't be that he went into hell because sin has been paid for. But the Westminster Confession of Faith says for our oaths to not be ambiguous, to not be, in other words, open to interpretation. Because If you've got an ambiguous document, something that can be read in various different ways, the person who interprets it and tells you what it says, that is the person with the authority. It is why, it is why, the Church of Rome, and we don't want you, we won't want the common man reading the scriptures, we will tell you what it says. So, brethren, this is not some small thing. Now, 
I'm hoping to, this is quite late, and I'm going to try and do another program on this for next week. This is not a small issue. Now, I don't want to be picking as well on the Presbyterian Church in Ireland because they might be, some one of the professors or somebody very knowledgeable might be able to say, oh, look, there's other denominations do the same thing. And to which I agree, this is the problem. And what I think we need to get back to is a more robust formula among many, many denominations. Just want to leave you with this. Um, this is from the formula sworn in 1711 in the Church of Scotland in that day. I've quoted this before on the program. It says the following. Do you sincerely own and believe the whole doctrine contained in the Confession of Faith, approved by former General Assemblies of this Church and ratified by law in the year 1690, to be founded upon the Word of God? And do you acknowledge the same as the confession of your faith? Will you firmly and constantly adhere thereto to the utmost of your power? Assert, maintain, and defend the same, the purity of worship, as presently practiced in this national church, and asserted in the 15th Act of the General Assembly, 1707, entitled Act Against Innovations in the Worship of God. So that's a very, very clear, very, very clear formula. It is a formula that is calling you not just to say, hey, paragraph here that's not read here, that you see that you hold the confession of faith, if you're swearing to be an office bearer, all of it, that you hold it without equivocation, but all always of chapter 22 already makes that very, very clear. It's without equivocation. It's, 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 it's un- unambiguous. So if you believe the confession of faith in total, in total, you don't really have to even state simpliciter. You do in modern par- you do in modern com- conversations, unfortunately, an unqualified subscription, which is really baked into the cake of the Westminster Confession of Faith. But you, sadly, you have to because people speak equivocally all over the place. We live in a postmodern age, and people see no problem speaking that way. But it calls not upon you just to hold to the doctrine. The oath calls upon you as an office holder to the utmost of your power and, and, and to do so firmly and constantly to assert, to maintain and defend the the same. Not just that you don't go against these things, but that you who swear these things, you assert them, you maintain them, and you defend them. Notice how it says to the utmost of your power. And if you're part of a church court ordaining women, 
You see, they don't have those that kind of language in in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland because they don't want it. They would not want anybody asserting, maintaining, and defending the Westminster Confession of Faith and purity of worship, according to that Fifteenth Act of the General Assembly in seventy seven. They want something that is interpreted by the Church of the day, by the popular opinion of the day, and this is why. This is why the, this happens in so many different denominations. What you're going to find is they'll state the Westminster and it's plus an empty box. And the empty box becomes whatever the church of the day determines it to be. Now, that empty box of whatever it is is left sufficiently vague so that the, the court of that day can make up their mind on how to interpret that. And that paragraph 14 leaves it vague enough so the church can decide, oh yeah, female elders are okay. So we have to accept that. So we may say, well, he shouldn't accept that. Unfortunately, according to his vows, there's a certain sense of which. But friends, we ought to obey God rather than men. Men, if you're serving in in church office, do not become a politician. Saying what people want you to say, say the truth. Speak it in love, but do it for the edification of souls in your care. It's been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.